certainly is nice to be here um, for this occasion. Uh, last weekend, we had a wonderful baptism at our church and so many occasions, thankful to God that finally things seem to be resuming back to normal with all these events uh, long anticipated. Well, I'm sure we've all have been looking forward to this with the baptism again last weekend, the spring sing or northeast sing as it's now called this weekend and followed by another baptism by another occasion. So looks like we won't be visiting our home churches too frequently in the next few months, but we're thankful to God for this time and uh, it's exciting to be here and I'm thankful to the Lord for this opportunity and thank you for all your prayers. Uh, before we look into God's word, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, where better can we be than in this place that has been dedicated for the honor and glory and praise of you, where we can just separate ourselves from the concerns and cares of this world, for there are many, and find ourselves, in a sense, in this refuge, in this shelter, in this place where we can hear and open up your word and read about your word and hear about your word and sing praises to your honor and glory. Father God, I just pray that you may be with me and that you would strengthen my heart and just allow me to be filled as an empty vessel, Lord God, to the use of the master. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead this morning's sermon, the program, this afternoon's message, all those that are involved, Father, May it be all but all done for your honor and to your glory, Lord God, as we commit this into your care, Father. We just thank you and, and may your word do uh, that which it only can do, which is to convict lives and turn sinners to saints. We give you praise and honor and thanks in advance as we contemplate this theme of being still and know you better. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As mentioned, it's uh, wonderful to be here in the company of fellow brothers and sisters. It was really nice to be here last night and uh, thankful to God for this beautiful weather as well. And we also recognize that today is also a special occasion as it is Mother's Day. And so uh, we want to um, honor the mothers and our wives for um, just the commitment, service, and the love and the sacrifice and caring for our children. And, uh, we're thankful and grateful uh, for uh, the mothers here and everywhere else. So um, I'd like to turn, if we can, to uh, Psalm 46. As I was meditating in the last couple of weeks what to read on, and this theme, Be Still, and as I was talking also with Brother Brian on the bench there, this theme is a very fitting theme during this time. Um, we're now somewhat out of the pandemic, I guess you, you can say, it's been two, over two years, and this whole theme of being still and, and just kind of pausing and, and trying to understand what, what, what was God accomplishing during these last two years. So I find it very fitting that we are meditating on this theme, and as last night, Brother Shane elaborated on, on, on a few stories, and he touched on several good points that uh, share the same sentiment in the direction where I want to take this, you know, this morning's message. And you can just see the spirit already beginning to move and work through this weekend through the inspiration hour last night and through the songs and, and through the rest of the day. I trust that God has a, a greater purpose in all of this. 
But this, uh, this phrase or this verse, it, it comes from Psalm 46. So I, it's a short psalm, only 11 verses. So I'd like to read it. And with the Lord's help, if we can keep our, uh, the word open, and, and I'd like to go through some of the verses to see what God is, wants to share with all of us and impress on all of our hearts as we contemplate uh, the stillness and, and to recognize God. Beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time and help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early, or very early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease, Unto the end of the earth, he breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. If you were to summarize this chapter... 46 of Solomon, you could perhaps narrow it down to this idea, to this theme of God's sovereign, God's sovereignty, God's ruling over the affairs of the nations and the wickedness and even nature itself. This Solomon, which was penned by the sons of Korah who were in charge of the tabernacle services and also in the, in, involved in the choir. And it's very fitting that this actually psalm is a song broken up in three stanzas, if you will. And each stanza, stanza carries a, a, a message, a, a, a progression to, to where it gets to verse 10. Be still, know that I am God. And then the narrative changes in verse 10 because God then speaks. He says, be still and know that I am God. Prior to that, the sons of Korah and the psalmists who, 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 who put this together are, are speaking on behalf of God and expressing their experience and their understanding of the God they serve. This psalm is written during a time of war. And we know if you read the Old Testament, many nations were after the children of Israel. They're always warring. The children of Israel were always going into battle. And it seems like this 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 psalm that was penned was maybe penned perhaps some people think it was penned after significant victory that David had over his enemies and so after there's victory uh, and there's defeat of the enemies you 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 sing a choir and you praise the Lord for these victories but we also this has so much application to us because we too are in battle you know there are wars and rumors of wars that will continue to happen in the future, but there are current wars that are taking place. Now, not, maybe not here in the comforts of the West and here in, 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 in Canada specifically, 
But there's also a spiritual warfare that's taking place. And I'd like to, with God's help, uh, you know, get into and touch on, on the spiritual warfare that every believer here sitting in this room encounters on a daily basis. So there's a lot of application of this psalm to us in our own lives. And it has a lot of relevance to us, and we can glean from this psalm. And it's intended to encourage us, uh, encourage us uh, rather encourage us, sorry. And it's also, um, it's also a warning to the unbelievers. So there's a war- warning to the unbelievers, an encouragement to the believers, where we can find refuge and comfort. Speaking of God's sovereignty, I remember this, 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 this sticks to my mind uh, to this day, September 11th, 2001. We know that day, uh, for those of you who were born before 2001, looks like many of you perhaps weren't, but um, most of you were, so you would know the significance of that day. And where you were on September 11th when the, when, the bill, when the planes flew into the Twin Towers. And I remember the weeks following that, there was so much discussion and you, you listened to, you know, uh, some Christian radio at that time and there, you know, they had the open uh, question answer time and, and the calls that would, that would, that would come in and the, some of the questions that were asked. And, and the most common question was, you know, as almost like an attack towards the Christian community. And, and it was as if it was like a, like, a, like a criticism, like, where was God on, on 9-11? Where was your God, the God that you proclaim is a loving God, a peaceful God, and, and so on and so forth? And it came th- with, with a critical mindset and a critical spirit. And I never forget the answer that was given to those accusers or those that doubted. God's sovereignty. It was a very simple answer. He says he was in the same place. He was same place on 9-10 and 9-9 and the day before and the day before. Ruling on his throne. God is not moved. God does not get off his throne and say, oh my, oh, oh my gosh, what is going on here? What, what, what's happening here? Buildings are flying into the, to, you know, planes are flying into the buildings or this catastrophe or, or, or let's say natural disasters or other rumors of war. This doesn't move God in the least bit. And this psalm speaks to that truth. This psalm speaks to that fact. So with that in mind and understanding God's sovereign rule, I'd like to get into now how we as believers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord who profess peace in our hearts and a relationship with Jesus Christ who have been forgiven, how can we take comfort in this sovereign Lord? What's our assurance? How can we now take our refuge in, in God? Well, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling thereof. I want to just summarize these few verses that we just read. God is our refuge. The psalm begins with God is our refuge. God is our hiding place. God is our shelter. God is our safety. You know, many people are hiding in safety with the threats of, 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 of bombs uh, falling on them in, in bunkers in, in perhaps Ukraine and other parts of the world. Well, that word refuge, that's what it, that's what it conveys, that, me, that, that, that idea of, of safety, of, of protection, of a shield. And here the psalm is saying, God is our refuge, God is our safety, God is our shield, and strength. Not only does God give us strength, but he is our strength. 
a very present help in time of need. Therefore, we will not fear. I, I, I love the way the psalm puts this together. He first establishes and gives reasons why we shouldn't fear. He doesn't just begin and say, don't fear when, 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 when storms come and, and when these natural disasters, these phenomena take place. When they, I mean, just think of those examples. Uh, when the earth be removed, I mean, that, that sounds like an earthquake to me. Anybody who has experienced that, I mean, how can you not be moved? How can you not be uh, moved to fear? Or if the, or, or if the um, mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, I mean, what are these, landslides, mudslides? I mean, I, you just see glimpses of that, and it's terror. Terror will strike you. Though the waters thereof roar and trouble, these tsunamis perhaps, or, or, or the swelling or the mountain shake with swelling, these volcanoes. I mean, that's just kind of the thoughts that come to my mind when he's trying to convey these natural disasters. He doesn't begin by saying, don't fear if all these things happen. He first establishes a solid foundation why we shouldn't fear. And again, this is, pertains to believers. We're going to get to the unbelievers because for the unbeliever, you have every reason to fear. You have every reason to fear. There should be no reason why you should go to sleep at night in full, complete peace. Because the thought of you waking up and standing before your maker should be a frightful thought. But this is a promise to the believers here. This is a promise to me, myself, and I needed to hear this. I first speak to myself and every brother that preaches from the pulpit or if they teach a Bible class or whatever the case is, the message first applies to themselves. I spoke to a brother last week and he says the, the problem was never, the issue is not preaching the message, it's living by the message. We know that James says there's a greater accountability. And so it's taking this word of God seriously and applying it to our, our, ourselves, but also taking a, a, a comfort and assurance of what this, what this word means to me. How does this apply to me? How can this motivate me to be a better and a more faithful Christian that can serve God? Well, that's why the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength. Don't fret. He's our refuge. We heard yesterday... Um, of, 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 these, of these examples of where, and these stories that were shared by Brother Shane uh, of Jonah and, and the disciples on the boat and their refuge and what, what they took comfort in. And if you think of the thought of, of Jonah, for instance, he was in the safest place he could be, in the belly of the fish. See, that was his refuge. That was his refuge. I mean, because outside of the belly of the fish, there was a ravaging sea, and, and that's where the danger lied. But when it says God is our refuge, how, what, how can we apply that in a specific example? Like when we go through trials in our lives, how is God our refuge? We know he's our ultimate refuge through Christ, and he's our safety, and he's our protection. But how is he our refuge? Remember the Passover lamb, uh, Passover during the... Uh, um, the Passover, uh, when they instituted the Passover and the angel of death was to go through the town there and if you didn't have the blood marked on the post, you would be killed, the firstborn. Well, that home, that blood became their refuge. How do we as Christians find refuge in God? Because surely, as we heard yesterday as well, we will go through storms of life. We will go through various trials. But I believe the refuge is there is the refuge there is we are we are protected and sheltered by God in the sense that He provides all the right things that are needed 
for us to endure that environment, whatever trial we're going through. You know, there's a quote that, that, that I remember. It, it says something like this. God sometimes chooses not to deliver us from our trials, but in our trials. Because the trials, as James says, has to accomplish a, a work, has to accomplish something. So God delivers us in our trials, meaning in the midst of that heat, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of whatever trial we're going through, God provides all the right things necessary to sustain us in the trial. Namely, the Holy Spirit to give us comfort and joy and hope. Namely, the Holy Spirit, and that's where, where it says a very present help in time of trouble. That's how we as believers can take a special comfort and refuge because we have the Holy Spirit. We possess the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 16, I believe it is, where, where uh, Jesus says uh, it's, better, it's better that um, I go, that you know, if I don't go, the comforter will not come. He says it's better. I mean, what could be better than walking with Jesus? What can be what, better than having Jesus by our side? Well, Jesus can only be at one place at one time physically on earth. And there's many needs. He can't just be at one, with one, one of the disciples or one person in need. But it's better in the sense that when he goes, he sends the Holy Spirit that's sealed in our hearts to the day of redemption. And that Holy Spirit now has a permanent residence in our hearts. And it ministers, or he rather, ministers to us on a daily basis. Of course it's better. We wake up with the Holy Spirit. We go to sleep with the Holy Spirit. He's in our heart every day, all the time. And we can tap in, tune in, and be filled with that same Spirit on a regular and daily basis. And that's why it's better. And that's why he is a very present help in time of need. Because the, the thought is that sometimes when people are going through various difficulties and trials, I mean, what's the, sometimes the first thing that comes to their heart is, God, where are you? I feel so, they feel so distant and disconnected with God. And, they, and that couldn't be further from the truth. It could not be further from the truth. He's a very present helper because the helper itself and himself is in our hearts. And that's why there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. But God. Don't fear the, the physical, natural disasters of verse 3 or 4. And don't fear the, 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 perhaps the turmoil that takes place in verse 6 where it says, The heathen rage and the kingdoms removed. He utters his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, cutteth the spear in sunder, and burneth the chariot. So, in the, you know, verse 3 and 4 speaks about don't fear the natural disasters. Don't fear that component. You know, I thought to myself, is there intentionality? Of course, there's always intentionality why God's word says what it says. And I think to myself in my own life, when I struggle with some of the fears and anxieties that I have, because, you know, where it says, do not fear, there's something that resonates within my, my own heart is because I sometimes exhibit a lot of fear and anxiety in my own heart. And, and yet I look at the word and that word, do not fear, is just replete through scripture. What are the first words Jesus says to his disciples and the woman at the tomb? Do not fear. Do not fear. Because... Death has been conquered, ultimately, for the believer. There's nothing more to fear. And that's what we all fear, ultimately, is dying. Your anxieties, your fear of sicknesses, your fear of whatever the case is, ultimately, perhaps, maybe, it's rooted in this fear of, of death. That's the ultimate fear that grips every human, that's the universal truth. 
Everybody's afraid to die. But for the believer, there should be no reason to be afraid to die. So it says, do not fear, even though all these natural disasters take place. I think to myself, whenever I had uh, moments or episodes of doubt and fear and anxiety on my own heart, it's, it's something unbelievable happens. When something greater than my own fear takes place, like let's say I found out a, a serious news of a, of a loved one that passed away or, or a serious diagnosis, all of a sudden in that moment, I take the fear, that fear off myself is, is kind of removed interestingly enough, and now I'm thinking of, of this news, of this devastating news, and my thoughts now are geared towards this situation. And this fear disappears. And I think the reason why the psalmist says, though the mountains and all these natural disasters, if they take place, is because he's using like this hyperbole, this exaggerated uh, uh, scenario, because in those scenarios, if the mountains be moved and the, and the sea is raging and there's volcanic you know, eruptions or warnings not out around us, but wherever, you, you won't think about your fears. You won't think about losing your job. You'll be thinking about your family. You'll think about the next thought is, am I going to die? Am I going to survive? And so it's the worst case scenario that's presented in verse 2 or 3. But God is now centered in, in this whole, cent, between centered and, and perfectly in the middle of these of these extreme scenarios of natural disasters and, and then all of a sudden this rumor of war and the threats of even now, let's say you hear nuclear tension going on, but during that time of Israelites you know, being, wanting to be destroyed, in the center of that, there's this assurance. There's a river, the streams whereof shall, be, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. It's this comfort, is this assurance that in the middle of those scenarios, in the middle of the most extreme of scenarios, whether it's nature again or, 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 or you're about to be annihilated from, a, from an enemy of another country, God is in the midst. And I think that's where we need to take comfort, my brother and sister, in, in, in recognizing that there's nothing to fear for good reason. I'd like to go to verse 9, verse 6, I'm sorry. The heathen rage, the kingdoms were moved, he utters his voice, and the earth melted. In Psalm 2, this, this, this thought of the heathen raging. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Psalm chapter 2 gives us a little more insight of, of these heathens and what they're plotting against God on how they're plotting against God. In verse 1 of Psalm 2, it says, the psalm, perhaps it's David, he asks, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why do they do this? You ever think, why do the heathen rage? Why do the enemies get so upset? Why do we, when we encounter people that are so hostile towards Christianity, who are so opposed to the thought of, of Christ coming and dying for their sin and, and acknowledging God that there is a God, why are they so angry at this? Why do they imagine a vain thing? Meaning, the vain thing they're imagining is that they can actually defeat God. They can overpower God in his armies. 
It says, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So there's this plot. And what are, they, what are they plotting against? Against the Lord and against the anointed. And they're saying this, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Look at God's response in verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. This is the response. You, you, you plot against me, God says in vain. There's nothing that you can do. He breaks the bow, as it says in verse 9. Why are they so angry? Why are they so angry against God? And you may say to yourself, those of you who, are not, who have not professed Christ, you may say, well, that's the heathens. You know, those are the heathens. That's not me. I'm not so angry at God. But you know what? The reality, the fact of the matter is this. There's only two categories, two types of people in this world. There's two types of people in this room. You're either an enemy of God or you're a follower of Christ or you've been redeemed by Christ. No matter how good you may think you are, no matter how much you went to church as a kid, which is good, those are all beautiful things, but at the end of the day, there's only two places. And, and that's a sobering thought because you may not think yourself to be like the heathen that are raging, that are hostile, like these, like these people that we encounter on a daily basis here in Toronto and other liberal cities where you engage in these conversations about social justice and so on and so forth. And, and we just get so enraged, we get upset. I get, I get upset myself. I get frustrated because, because, because I believe I know what the Word of God says and I'm trying to convey that. I get, up, I get frustrated because at my core, I believe, this is what I think, is because I love them enough to tell them the truth. And the truth is that they're sinners going to hell. That's, that's the gospel. You know, it's, a lot of people say, you know, but that's, that's such a harsh, harsh message. You know, just tell, 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 tell them God loves you. And uh, no, that's the easy message. I mean, uh, you tell somebody God loves you, they say thank you very much in their life. They leave that conversation unchecked, unchanged. That's not the complete gospel. The complete gospel, as, as far as I understand it, is telling them the bad news, actually focusing and stressing on the bad news, on the, on, the, on the indictment that's against them, that they're sinners in the hands of an angry God. And But when that's recognized and that's acknowledged, then you provide the good news, but there's a Savior. But just wait, there's a, there's a way out, there's a way of escape, and there's a way of forgiveness. I remember one, I was having a conversation with somebody a long time ago, uh, a while ago before the pandemic, and I was, we got into this whole discussion of this social agenda and this, uh, all these liberal ideologies, gender identity, so on and so forth, and he's, you know, it, it all made sense to me because he moved up to Newmarket, and I said, where are you coming from? He says, Toronto. I'm like, okay, that makes sense, and uh, no offense to those of you who live in Toronto, but I'm sure it's, uh, you know what I'm talking about when you're more in liberal cities, you have these dialogues, and there's just this this strong stance uh, majority of people take. And, and uh, I started having a, a discussion about this whole idea of gender identity and, and you know, the same argument they use, right? And I, I want to just turn this back on, just, just prodding to the heart and get to the heart of the matter that, that this before God is, is sinful and you use your rational arguments and this are logical arguments, so on and so forth. But at the core, I want to stress the point that, you know, before, before God, this is not right and it's sinful and for these reasons and so on and so forth. And, and he says, why do you got to be so mean? Why do you got to be so... I said, 
I, I'm not. I said, I'm actually, I'm actually not being mean. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm being loving. I think I, I'm, I'm being caring by telling you these things. He says, How, what do you mean? I said, would you be angry? Would you be upset at a weatherman if he told you that there's a tornado coming in the next few hours or warns you of an earthquake or warns you of some sort of other natural disaster? Would you be upset at that weatherman? No, of course not. He's warning you of something. You would thank him. You would thank him. But the problem is you don't believe what I'm saying, so therefore you view what I'm telling you as being mean. I said, but if you view it through that lens, you would view it. If what I'm saying is true, and that's based on the word of God, then what I'm in fact telling you is a loving message. I'm actually being loving enough to, and caring enough to be able to tell you that there's coming a day of reckoning. And so I, I, he kind of understood it to a certain extent, but that was where it was left off at. And so going back to this idea, and I know I go down these rabbit trails all the time, this idea of those of you who think you're not as bad as the heathens or bad as this guy who's defending a certain position, you may in fact completely wholeheartedly disagree with people that you encounter at school. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you haven't made peace with your Savior, you're no different. Actually, as a matter of fact, it's worse because the Bible says, he who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's what? It's sin. And there's going to be a greater accountability. I mean, the, one of the verses that really uh, share a, a big warning to myself as, as a Christian, let alone those who, you know, uh, brag about the good things they accomplish in life, is when Jesus himself says, many shall come to me. Many shall come to me, saying, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this and cast out demons? I mean, they even have evidence of their salvation, if you will. To which, how does Jesus respond? Then my father will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And these are people that were doing good things, not even, never mind heathens. And so I think we need to have a reality check. That if I'm not in Christ, if I have not been saved then I'm no different than the heathen that's raging in my own heart. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear asunder and burneth the chariot in fire. He says he maketh wars to cease. And, and again, this is God's sovereignty. God will make wars to cease. Even that conflict that's taking place in Europe now, you know, we talk about there should be peace talks and, you know, uh, you know, Putin should talk to Zelensky and so on and so forth and all these strategies should take place. Yes, on the surface level, absolutely. And we, we would encourage that more than this nuclear tension rising and all these ominous threats that are taking place from all sides. But who ultimately, according to what this verse says, is God. God. God makes wars to cease. When God says this has accomplished and will accomplish my purpose, whatever that purpose is, I will make this cease. This, again, is God's sovereignty ruling over the affairs of this world. And then verse 10, I want to focus the last few minutes that we have. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And that's, that theme just resonates. It's resonated in my heart in the last two weeks when I was preparing and, and meditating on, on what to reflect on. This idea of be still and know that I am God. And I think we can take this, and we, we, we heard a little bit about it yesterday as well, last night. And I really appreciate the thought, because I was inspired, and I actually, uh, um, it, it just really fit in nicely to where I was 
feeling led to go this morning as well. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Oftentimes we, were, we, we look at this verse and we say this pertains to believers and by just being quiet, being still, and just reflecting on God. And there is a truth component to it. There is some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to it. For the believer, the first thing is, in light of his sovereignty ruling the nations and nature itself, the thought of being still for the believer is stop doing the things that only God can do. How many of us maybe are micromanagers and we take too much on, too much responsibility? We try to do things that uh, really are out of our control. We try to manage. We try to do God's work for us, for him rather. And I think being still from the, as the believer is, is just step back a little bit. Stop doing the things that only God can do. God does a better job ruling the world and everything else in its affairs than you do. This thought of don't fret. Don't fret. And I apply this to myself. Don't fret. During the pandemic, how many conversations and, and, and discussions we had in so many different directions you go and what's taking place and how can we get involved? How can we stop this, this person, stop this party? And, and we can't let, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to name names, but we can't let, you know, these, 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 these um, politicians advance their agendas and and, and then all of a sudden you hear breaking news of these laws being changed. And again, just this liberal ideology and what they're teaching our kids in schools. And you're just like losing patience and you're getting frustrated and you're getting angry for good reason. But at the core of it, I think there's this concept, there's this thought of don't fret, be still. I am the Lord. Don't worry, Ronnie. I'll, I, I, I'll cover. I, I know what's going on. I'll take care of what's going on. You be faithful to your calling. You be faithful to what I've called you to do to be a faithful and diligent servant in the kingdom of God, to make disciples, to make my name known. That doesn't mean you just become ignorant and oblivious to what's going on. It's good to be in tune, but it just means there has to be this fine line, this balance of, of how much involvement and how much do I really think I can change the current circumstance. So this is, this is to me, a, a promise assurance of just step back a little bit. You know, there's this, that, we heard of that term before, let go and let God, and, and it's a, becomes a cliche, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with it completely, because you don't let go of all your responsibilities. As a believer, there's a lot of responsibilities that we have. There's a lot of things that we are called to do to work and service, so you don't just, you know, absolve all your responsibilities and not do anything, and just say, God, you take care of every little thing of my life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the Lord that both works and wills to do his good pleasure. It's understanding your part, but also recognizing who's giving you the strength to fulfill your part. Stop worrying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. We sang that last song last night. Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. Simply as that. Leave to thy God to order and provide. He will do a much better job. God said, trust me, I'll do a much better job. And if you get a chance, read Isaiah 40 that speaks to the sovereign God and how he, how he measures the span of the earth or the, the galaxies uh, with a span, rather, which is equivalent to around nine inches. That's how God, when he does this, that's the galaxy to him. It's just a beautiful reminder of who he is and how small we are. Stop worrying. Rest. Rest a little bit, brother and sister. Rest. Rest doesn't mean don't do anything. It just means rest in his promises. 
Rest in his promise. Spend time with him. We know the story of Mary and Martha, right? Martha was always busy, busy, and she was busy doing good things. But what did Jesus say to Mary? She has chosen the better thing because she chose to sit down and be with the Lord. And, and I got to tell myself that, to just rest a little bit, meditate with the Lord. And it's good to be active, good to be busy with church responsibilities and, and midweek stuff and all those things that are going on with counseling. But there's this idea of being, you know, just rest in his promises, meditate on his word a little bit, and wait on the Lord patiently. Maybe wait on the Lord. Maybe that's what the Lord is trying to convey to us and what it means to be still, to wait on God, just wait on him. But I think primarily this, this, this term or this verse that's, that, that speaks to be still and, and, to, and know that I am God, be still is in context to the heathen that are raging against God. And this was a little bit of an eye-opener to me when I was reading this the last a uh, couple of weeks and to just kind of meditate on this because in building up to it, it's, it's all the heathen raging. Wars are, uh, uh, are, are, are happening around about the Israel, children of Israel. And finally, God speaks in the first person. Now God takes over the narrative and he says, be still, be still. Who is he speaking to? Those that are raging and, 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 and making war against the children of Israel. Be still, and, 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 and I'm, I appreciate that Brother Shane mentioned this last night as Inspiration Hour. That same term, be still, is, is, is used in the story, in the account in Mark 4, where the disciples were in the boat, and then all of a sudden the seas and the wind are, are, are you know, there's this uh, uh, ravaging, ravaging storm, if you will, and the, and the winds are boisterous, and Jesus is sleeping, calm, resting. And what does he say to the waves? Peace, be still. He's speaking, having a dialogue. Think of this thought. He's having a conversation with nature. Peace, be still. What is he saying to the winds, essentially, in essence? Stop fighting. Cease from being so ravaging. Cease from being so boisterous. Stop doing it. And he could because he's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over nature. All the reason why we shouldn't be fear, fearful. Because he's sovereign over it. Nature doesn't just act on its own apart from one, the word spoken by God. And so it's the same thought of stop fighting. Just cease. Just resist. And for the unbeliever, that's what, first of all, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It doesn't say be still and you know, once in a while. Be, it's, it's a command. Stop fighting. Stop fighting. Perhaps many here are fighting against God. Maybe not again in the same way the heathens did. Maybe not in the same way that they thought they can create their weapons and destroy the armies and that's their way to getting back to God. But maybe they're fighting in their hearts when nobody even knows. You know, when, when church is over, services are done, the fellowship is over, they go back to sleep at night and in their conscience there's this warfare. There's a fighting, there's a wrestling going on. And those of you who haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. You're resisting. It's the same idea that, that Paul was doing to Jesus for how long? So going to Damascus to persecute. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and says, why are you fighting? It's hard to you for you to kick against the pricks or the, 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 the ox goads. 
we were just talking about that recently. What are the ox goad? It's this, this, this metal prong in that you would poke and, and, and jab into an ox when it would go off direction. And so when you poke at it and you, and you stab it, it would cause a lot of pain. But the idea behind it is, is, is to keep it on track. And what Jesus was telling Paul, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to kick against that which I'm prodding. The idea is you prod deep enough to the soul to finally you surrender. And that's what Jesus, I believe, is God is trying to say through all of this, is that surrender. Stop fighting and surrender. Stop fighting. And what was Paul's response? The only thing one could do when he felt the call and felt that prodding of the Holy Spirit to the point where he had no choice but to say, fall off his animal and surrender to the Lord. And so my encouragement and prayer is for everyone here and those who haven't surrendered life to the Lord, that if there is that prodding, if there is that fight, inner turmoil against God, that there would be seizing in your, like a stopping, just stop resisting, stop fighting, and a complete surrender. And that there would be the attitude of the disciples when Jesus stopped the storm. Because as the account goes on, what was the disciples' response? They They were afraid of the storm. But when Jesus stops the storm, what took place? Their fear was now transferred from the current circumstance of this windstorm that they thought would perhaps capsize the boat and they would drown to all of a sudden it was a supernatural fear of God, of the divine. And their fear now becomes exceedingly fearful. And so that's that's what the intention is. When you face God, the only person that you ought to fear As the Bible says, fear not him who can destroy the body, but not the soul, but destroy him who can destroy both body and soul and cast it into hell. That is the person we ought to ultimately fear. And so I just pray that you would ponder that thought, that you would stop fighting, that you would resist and just surrender to God. And that the same voice in verse 6, when he utters his voice, the earth melted. The same voice that can melt the earth also created the earth. That same voice, which is the voice of Jesus, and this is where the gospel comes in, because it's the great invitation, be still and know that I am God. That's the invitation. Know that I am the Lord. Know I am the Lord. And that same voice that was able to create the earth can also destroy it with that same voice. That same voice can also heal as the centurion recognized, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. But if you speak one word, my servant could be healed. That same voice that spoke, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead rise, is the same still small voice today that's whispering, come home. Submit, surrender your life to God. Now, that's my prayer this morning, that all the praise, glory, and honor belongs to God as he is to be exalted in everything that's said and done, and that we ultimately can take refuge in the rock, our Savior, as he protects us, as he shields us from the wrath of God. And when we take comfort and, again, strength and refuge in that, may God bless his word to our hearts. Amen.